Welcome to the Addiction Connection podcast, connecting the hope of the gospel with the heart of addiction. I'm your host, Mark Shaw. This is a series that we are doing called Easter Meditations for Addicts, and I am not doing this alone, thank the Lord, but I have a dear friend, really a sister. She's part of our family, whether she wants to be or not, part of our dysfunctional Shaw family, but she is. So Miss Shirley Crowder is on the podcast today. Hi, Shirley. Hi, Mark. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I know you're I'm part of our... I'm honored to be part of the family. <laughs> I'm just honored y'all would let me in. <laughs> <laughs> well, the only dysfunctional part of our family is the one talking right now on the microphone, <laughs> which is me. The rest of the family operates pretty well, but... Uh, <laughs> Me, I don't know. I need help, but um, but that's why we're here. We're going to look to the Lord for help, and I'm going to start with Scripture that actually any pastor listening will know this. Um, in my days of being a senior pastor and doing uh, the, leading a communion service, you would always read read this. And our topic today is the Lord's Supper. So, First Corinthians eleven twenty three through twenty six is where I'll start. And um, uh, this will be very familiar again to any pastor who's listening. Verse 23 says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also he took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And uh, the Lord's Supper in this series is, is really special, but it really started long before that in the book of Exodus. So talk to us a little bit about the Passover and uh, some of the background there in the book of Exodus. Well, the, uh, just turn to Exodus in your Bible, and you can start about 10, 11, 12, somewhere in there to get a little background and a run and start. Um, yeah. We, uh, what we have to do is we have to go back to when the children of Israel were held captive, held as slaves in Egypt. And God told Moses to go to Pharaoh the leader, the king, president, sort of equal in that, the Pharaoh, except they thought Pharaoh was a little G-God. They thought it was a big G-God, but <laughs> say little G-God. Um, so God told Moses, go tell Pharaoh to let, you know, let my people free, set them free. Um, let them leave Egypt and let them go to a land that I promised them. Nine different times Moses went to Pharaoh and asked or said, God said, let my, well, the hymn, the old um, spiritual, African-American spiritual says, he said, let my people go. Uh, And nine times Pharaoh said, no, uh -uh, not going to do it. Each time Pharaoh said no, God brought a different type of plague to Egypt, all kinds of weird stuff. Uh, 
water turn, river turn into blood, grasshoppers, all kinds of things. Um, and each time Moses would come back and Pharaoh would still say, nope, didn't change Pharaoh's mind at all. Uh, so the 10th the time that Moses goes to Pharaoh and Pharaoh refuses to release the Israelites, <laughs> God told Pharaoh through Moses that he was going to strike down, he was going to kill the firstborn sons in Egypt. Now, that didn't mean just the little bitty babies. That meant even the old men who were, however old they were, in their 80s, 90s, 100s, whatever, if they were the firstborn son of their family, they would be killed. So, now we have a problem because, guess what? The Israelites had firstborn sons, right? But God made a way, and here's what he did. He instructed the Israelites to paint blood over the doorpost, over the top of their door. And so when the plague came, um, and I love the depiction in the old um, Ten Commandments movie, movie of the darkness, the blackness that's death coming through. I don't know if that's what it looked like. That's Hollywood's interpretation. But when <laughs> death came through, when God came through, he would see the blood over the doorpost and he would skip that house. He would not kill the firstborn son in that household. And that's just one of the places that you see all the way through scripture that the blood represents it has to be shed in order for redemption to occur. It's all pointing you. It's all giving you a glimpse of the shed blood of Jesus on the cross, looking to the blood. So you know the account when that happened and uh, that Pharaoh then relented. He wasn't happy, but he's like, okay, go. Of course, we know he changed his mind. But the, the feast, there's a Passover feast, a Passover, and there's a feast of unleavened bread. They're really one celebration, but this is what they celebrate, and it commemorates. It's where they remember and give thanks for God sparing the children of Israel's firstborn sons. Um, and then as Jesus, let's see, last week we talked about the triumphal, triumphal entry and how Jesus was coming into Jerusalem. Well, his purpose for coming was to celebrate Passover, this thing we just talked about, this commemoration of God saving the firstborn sons of Israel, of God, because he saw the blood on the doorpost passing over those homes and saving those firstborn sons. And so from what Mark was just reading in 1 Corinthians and then he, in, in the Gospels, but in Matthew, <clears throat> Jesus 
as they're up in the upper room, uh, Jesus is serving and he takes the bread and he gave it to the disciples. And that's where he said, take, eat this it represents my body. And he took, he takes the cup and gave thanks and then said, drink from it, drink it. The blood of the covenant poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. So with that, Jesus institutes a new memorial that replaces, sort of, is the old covenant of the Passover to the new memorial of the Lord's Supper or communion, it's sometimes called, where we're celebrating and remembering the shed blood of Christ on the cross. And so as we celebrate, as we partake, as we eat the Lord's Supper, we are remembering what Christ did, did for us on the cross. We're, we're saying we know that happened. We believe it. We give thanks for our salvation. Um, I, lo- I love these pictures in Scripture. In the, in the passage that Mark read where it said, um, eat this bread and drink this cup. Every time we do that, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now that doesn't mean that we, we're like the Wizard of Oz, ding dong, the witch is dead. It's not like we're celebrating, we're so happy Christ died, but we're celebrating the fact that because of his great love for us, God sent Jesus, his only son to earth, to live as fully God and fully man, to be accused wrongly, to be beaten, be crucified, to die on the cross, to take upon himself not only the sin, our sin, the blackness of it, but the punishment that we deserve for that sin. And I often remind people that Jesus experienced something on the cross that Christ we as Christ followers will never experience. I always have people say, well, no, we don't crucify anymore. Well, that's not what I mean. What I mean is when Jesus was on the cross with all of our sin upon him, that God had to turn his back because he could not look at his son covered with our sin. I love that picture. And that's what we're grateful for is the atoning, the redemption, the salvation that came through that act. Now, Mark, one of the, the day four of every week talks about the implications for the topic, the theme of the week. For addicts, why don't you talk with us about that just a little bit? Yeah, the 
pictures in scripture are, are awesome, as you said. And um, I just think the thinking about Exodus in that time and, and having, if you'd have been an Israelite in that time, it, it would have been overwhelming. Uh, you're seeing God do something supernatural where he's demonstrating, like you said, his he's the one true God, all these other pagan gods, frogs and and all the plagues that he that the ten plagues represented a false god in Egypt, and God was showing, I'm bigger than all of that. But it's still kind of I, overwhelming the land. It's affecting the Israelites. They're seeing it. Sometimes some of the plagues affected Egyptians and not Israelites. Sometimes it was the whole place was affected. Uh, but this final one, this Passover, you know, thinking about walking by faith and um, and you're applying blood and you're trusting God. Uh, that's the picture here for us. And it's the same if you've lived a life of addiction that's overtaken you, it's overpowered you. Um, you. You've tried to be self-sufficient. You've tried to do it on your own. But God wants you to be overpowered. He wants you to, to see that everything you've trusted in is only going to um, you know, make things worse. He's the one true God. And so when you trust in yourself or you trust in false gods or you trust in pleasures or comfort, if you're living for an addiction, God wants you to see that those things are empty. You have to trust in him. It's a relationship with him. And so he, he wants you to seek him, to obey him, to trust him. And that's what the Last Supper was. It was just an example of Jesus's obedience to the Father, a demonstration of faith and that God was doing something bigger here uh, in history. And um, and I'm sure the, the disciples that were with Jesus at the Last Supper were not fully aware of, of what was going on. They just didn't uh, comprehend what was really taking place, um, yet they were participating, they were in it, and God was teaching them in that moment to enlighten things down the road. And I think that's what walking by faith is, and if you've struggled with an addiction, now you're clean. You're living in a way where you are walking. You don't, you're, you're walking down the path God's given you. You're looking at that path, but you don't know what is ahead of you. I mean, sometimes I think, man, if I would have known what I know now, I probably wouldn't have gone down that certain road to do mm -hmm. that certain thing at that certain, you know, in that certain way. So I think that's the 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 there's so many pictures here and, and God's doing so much more than what we're even talking about um, in this. But when you read this, it should strengthen your faith. I yes. mean, if you're reading scripture and seeing these things and not saying, man, my God is humongous. My God mm -hmm. is capable. He's powerful. He's sovereign. Uh, if you're not thinking those thoughts about God, then you're really missing out on on the whole point of all of this. And Jesus was demonstrating to us obedience to God, faith in God, and and what that should look like for all of us, for the addicted, for everybody. Right, right. And then in this week's stage uh, five, our hymn of response, when we ask. Yeah. How do we respond when we remember that because of Christ's sacrifice and finished work on the cross, we're saved and able to commune with him now and in the future? We go deeper and deeper in our relationship with him. And we, this hymn 
is a hymn. Name is Deeper and Deeper. It's written by Oswald Jeffrey Smith. And I love, love, love this hymn. And the first stanza says, Into the heart of Jesus, deeper and deeper I go, seeking to know the reason why he should love me so, why he should stoop to lift me up from the miry clay, saving my soul, making me whole, though I had wandered away. Again, it's one of those things that our finite little pea brains cannot comprehend without faith, without the saving knowledge of God and who he is, and that enablement of the Spirit to know him and to trust him. I love, 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 love that picture. Yeah, that's so good. I mean, that he would stoop to yeah. lift me up. And and that's the picture of God being Emmanuel, God with us. He's a God who knows us and loves us and enters into our world and isn't just far off and unknowable, but he wants to reveal who he is to right. us. And he's done that through Jesus, through his word. And we can read and, and study, pray, and, and then walk through life with him, knowing he's right there. And so he stoops, he comes down to our level uh, to lift us up, to, to um, out of that miry clay. I love it. I really do. It's, and that's a great thing that um, I love about doing this second book with you in, in the same kind of structured way is the, the music, the lyrics in these hymns. I mean, we're not saying these hymns are scripture, but we're saying, wow, the writers of these hymns, we don't have people writing hymns and music like this today. I'm, I'm sorry people may be mad at me and say, oh, I love the sloppy wet kiss or whatever. Okay, great, you know. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's, it's okay. And, uh, and I really like, um, uh, David Crowder. I mean, I think he does some good stuff, but man, when you read the, the depth of these lyrics back written, you know, years ago, centuries ago, in some cases, these lyrics have a depth and a thoughtfulness and a meaning. They're, they're biblical. Of course, not all hymns are perfect, but that's the aspect I love about this book is, is that it brings song and, and praise, uh, prayer. I mean, all the elements that are in this, but we're talking about praise here, that it, it brings that to it and helps kind of help, helps us to see uh, what the scriptures really mean and what's really going on. and just gives us a greater appreciation to go deeper right. with our understanding right. of God. Yeah. And this last stanza, the first few lines of it say, Into the love of Jesus, deeper and deeper I go, praising the one who bought, brought me out of my sin and woe. Mm. And through eternal ages, gratefully I shall sing, Oh, how he loved, oh, how he loved, Jesus my Lord and my King. Man, that doesn't... <laughs> Get you. That's <laughs> you right. May not, you may not be God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
No, it's true. And and I don't mean to put down people who are writing songs today, but I mean, when you read that, I mean, uh, there's a, an art and a skill and then a depth and, um, and just an, uh, that the person who wrote these lyrics knew God, he walked with God and he was able yeah. to express it in a way that uh, is helpful for us. So, yes. And with, with an understanding of who God is. Yeah. Right? Not that he knows they knew everything, but an understanding and a reverence for God that I think missing sometimes nowadays. Not that all old hymns are good. They're not. <laughs> well, and, and this was Oswald Jeffrey Smith, and you write a little bit about him in the supplemental part. Right. he was and, and that kind of thing. But I do think that um, some of these composers and, and writers, when they're writing these lyrics, you can tell they suffered and that they had difficult right. times in their lives. And yet that didn't deter them from worshiping and serving God. Mm-hmm. If anything, it, it, it fueled them to trust God deeper. And this song, yes. Deeper and Deeper, is just great. Yes. And, and so I think today a lot of people are are baby Christians, you know, suffering mm-hmm. comes along, I give up, I don't want to follow uh-huh. God, I'm, you know, and I'm counseling people right now and I'm telling you, I, there are a couple cases where I'm like, man, if I could get them over to a third world country where they'd really see people in true need and true poverty, both spiritually and, and physically, it might help them appreciate some of the things that are going on because their problems our first world problems, the people I'm counseling, and I'm like, they're not worried about food and those kinds of things, mm-hmm. and there's not an appreciation for that. It's funny, I lost my sense of smell, and, you know, due to some virus that's floating around, and so after that, I lost smell, and I didn't really appreciate smell, you know, and um, and when I lost it, I started to appreciate, oh my goodness, I'm missing out on things that uh, the roses and the, you know, just the things that Uh smell good. I don't have anything. And um, and, and so I think a lot of it, that's what these songs do for me is they help me to reflect and to think differently and to appreciate uh, Christ in just a different way. And, and, um, and I love the book. I mean, and it's available on Amazon. You know, right. I want people to to get it, not because, you know, it fills our coffers and and mm-hmm. and all that, but because it'll be a great tool to help them to draw close to Jesus in a more intimate and personal way. Right. And one of the things that I hope with the information that we have is the supplemental information, for instance, about Oswald Jeffrey Smith, is you... I hope that you'll look at some of the other hymns too that these people have written. Uh, when when I looked at the list of hymns uh, Smith had written, a lot of them are very were very unfamiliar. But one of them that wasn't, and all of them seem to have the same theme of understanding that it's all about your relationship with Christ. He's brought you to Himself. Now you do your part to know Him. And uh, one of them that I listed in, in his little short biography that he wrote the tune for was Jesus Only, Let Me See. So it's like, don't, don't let me go through the world seeing what's good for me only. 
or all the stuff going on, but in everything I do and say, let me see Jesus. Let that be where I'm going. Let that be the person I'm emulating. That's right. Good stuff. Yeah. And the guy only wrote 1,200 hymns. I mean, you know, yeah, that's all. <laughs> 1,200 more than, than I've written, you know, so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's well, funny. gospel songs and poems, all that. But I mean, right. um, yeah, just um, it, 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 it's, it's interesting to just, and he lived to 1986. So he wasn't someone who lived hundreds of years ago. Right. Um, and, and, um yeah, so I I appreciate that aspect of this book. And so, well, we are uh, out of time for this podcast, The Last Supper, just a, a real picture. And then, you know, when you participate in The Last Supper, you're participating, your, your senses, if you still have taste and, and smell. <laughs> Some of us don't. Uh, but if you have those things, uh, taste and smell and touch, uh, you are hearing, you know, you're engaging your eyes. All your senses are engaged in the Last Supper. And that's the idea is to kind of make it real, make it personal. And, uh, and, I, and that's, that's why we, we do that in, in remembrance of his coming. And, and this book is preparing us just for that, for Easter Sunday. It's coming soon. So, uh I look forward to the next one. I do not know him. That's the name of the chapter. Mm. Uh, I do not know him. That'll be next. So a cliffhanger. You'll need to st- you need to uh, tune into the next podcast. <laughs> well, thank you, Shirley. This, this the Last thank Supper you. is three Sundays before Easter. Right. That's the week you do this. This podcast will come out during that time, just to kind of help you. And the book's available. Uh, and again, we're excited about it because it. It's helped us to, to draw closer to Jesus. So, yes. Thank you, Shirley. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Thanks, listeners. We will talk to you soon. Take care and God bless. Bye.